Well, parents are liars. Did you know that? Parents are liars. That's right. Time and time again, as you grew up, your parents lied to you. They told you things which blatantly weren't true. And uh, let me just share with you some of the common lies that parents tell their children. Maybe your parents told you these lies as well. Here's the first one. Carrots help you see in the dark. I mean, that's just not true. Here's another one. When the ice cream van plays music, that means that there are no ice creams left. What a lie. Here's another one that some people have, have received. When you put your finger in your belly button and you twist, your bum falls off. I don't even know the point of that lie. I don't know what the benefit of that one is, but it's a lie that parents tell their kids. And here's the last one which I heard on a blog that I read on the website as to some lies that parents told their children. I thought this one was genius. It was this. A parent told one of their children every time they went into a grocery store, if they touched anything, a kitten somewhere else in the world dies. Uh, pretty savage, but that's the lie that that parent told their child. And so you can all see now that you're a little bit older, can't you? Parents are liars. But we'll not hold it against our parents. We all acknowledge and agree that they lied to us, yes, but for pretty good reason. They do it for our own protection. In fact, now that you're a little bit older, you probably look back at some of the lies that your parents told you that you used to believe, and you kind of laugh it off. You kind of think, how naive was I to believe that carrots could really help me see in the dark, or that the ice cream van music means that there's no ice creams left. We kind of laugh about it now, can't we? We were naive and young. But perhaps you're watching this and you were a Christian and you kind of do the same thing as you look back at the things that your parents taught you or your Sunday school taught you about God. All these truths that they told you about God, you know, you're a little bit older, you kind of look back and you think, how naive was I to believe that? When they said things that, you know, like Jesus is going to return one day. Or when they said things like, you know, the good news message of the gospel can transform your school or that the church will endure forever. We're told things like that. Perhaps you think, huh, I can't believe I used to believe stuff like that. How naive was I? I mean, now I'm a little bit older. I can see how hostile people in my school really are to the good news of the gospel. I can see how secular society really is. I can see how much people do not care about the church. How naive was I? You ever tempted to feel that way? Well, Daniel chapter 4 gives us a great reminder that the God of the Bible really is the one who can make the seemingly impossible possible. He's the one who is totally in control, totally in charge, and even the promises which he makes, which we might snigger and think that's naive, he brings them to fruition. And so uh, let's see three things really in Daniel chapter 4. First thing I want you to see is the dream. The dream. I'm sure you can remember a little bit of the context of the book of Daniel. About 20 years has passed from Daniel chapter 3. And pretty much the headline of the first couple of chapters of Daniel from a human perspective is this. King Nebuchadnezzar is the man. He's in charge. He rules this most powerful empire. He pretty much is the most dominant figure in the entire world. And by now, chapter 4 in the book of Daniel, he is just chilling on his throne and reaping the benefits of being the most powerful man in the world. Look at verse 4, which gives you a little inclination as to just how powerful this man really is. It says this in verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. Nebuchadnezzar's living the dream. He's the king. He's doing what he wants. He's chilling out in his grand palace but something happens which rocks him look at verse 5 he gets a disturbing dream i saw a dream that made me afraid as i lay in bed the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me he gets this terrifying dream you might remember in chapter 2 he also had a terrifying dream and back then he tried to get an explanation and an interpretation from all the richest and wisest guys of babylon he went to the magicians and the enchanters and the sorcerers and none of them were able to interpret the dream for him and eventually it was daniel through god's help who was the only one in all of babylon who was able to interpret the dream for him 
And so in light of that experience in chapter 2, you would expect Nebuchadnezzar to go straight to Daniel right now, wouldn't you? After he's had another disturbing dream. But that's not what he does. He doesn't learn from his mistakes. Look at verse 7. You'll see that once again he tries the magicians and the enchanters and the Chaldeans and the astrologers. But yet again, none of them are able to interpret his dream for him. And so as a kind of last resort, he once again goes to Daniel. And you can see in verses 10 through to 17, he explains the dream to Daniel. And he says, Daniel, here was my dream. I saw this great tree. This tree got greater and greater and taller and taller and almost reached right up to heaven. Everyone could see it. The tree was beautiful. Everyone loved it. But then this watcher came from heaven and he chopped it down until only a stump remained. Daniel, what on earth does this dream mean? He pleads with this explanation. Look at verse 18 where King Nebuchadnezzar pleads with Daniel. He says, this dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw And you, O Belteshazzar, or Daniel, tell me the interpretation because all the wise men of my kingdoms are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Daniel, please tell me what this dream means. And Daniel does. As you read verse 19 through to 26, Daniel starts giving this explanation as to what this dream meant. And it's not a good one for King Nebuchadnezzar yet again. Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, That tree that gets greater and greater and taller and taller, that's you. From a human perspective, everyone loves you. Everyone sees you. You reign above everyone else. It almost appears as if your rule goes the whole way to the heavens. But that watcher who came down out of heaven and chopped you down, well, that's God. God is going to humble you. But in fact, it's going to get even worse. God isn't just going to humble you. He's going to humiliate you. Look what happens in verse 25. As Daniel gives the interpretation to the stream, he says that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills. Daniel says to King Nebuchadnezzar, you're not just going to be humbled, you're going to be humiliated. God's going to humiliate you for your arrogance and your idolatry. You're literally not only going to be removed from your position of king, you're literally going to end up in the farmyard. You're going to eat grass like the animals. That's an astonishing, astonishing vision, isn't it? It's an astonishing interpretation from Daniel. It's an astonishing claim. King Nebuchadnezzar is the world's most powerful man and somehow he's trying to say that that King Nebuchadnezzar is going to become homeless. He's going to end up being in the grass, eating with the animals. It seems absurd. I mean, imagine you were to say to Donald Trump right now, I mean, not only are you not going to get re-elected in November, but actually you're going to be homeless. It seems like the most absurd thing ever. And so what does King Nebuchadnezzar need to do in order to avoid this damning indictment? Well, the solution is pretty easy from Nebuchadnezzar's perspective. Verse 27, he's called to break away from his sins. Acknowledge, Nebuchadnezzar, that you're not God. Acknowledge that there's only one God, and it's the God of the Bible. And so the first thing we see is the dream, uh, verse 4 through to 27. But secondly, notice the fulfillment, verses 28 to 33. I wonder how Nebuchadnezzar felt as he walked away from that interpretation given to him by Daniel. Perhaps he walked away thinking, I'm Nebuchadnezzar. That's not going to happen to me. I'm the great Nebuchadnezzar. I rule over everything. I'll be fine. I'm God at the end of the day. Or maybe he was a little bit convicted for a short while and he thought, yeah, maybe I better get my act together, but just never got round to it. 
But what we do know is that God was very gracious and very kind. It says actually here in verse 29, a whole year elapsed before the dream came to fulfillment. In other words, God was so gracious, so kind that he gave King Nebuchadnezzar a whole year to turn from his wicked ways. Yet that's not what King Nebuchadnezzar does. As we come to verse 30, we see that Nebuchadnezzar is now standing on the top of his palace and he's looking over Babylon, his kingdom, and he feels very proud about himself. Look what he says in verse 30. He says, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Nebuchadnezzar is every bit as arrogant and as boastful as he ever has been before. I am God. And no sooner are the words out of his mouth than his speech is interrupted by another speech. A speech coming from heaven. Look at this one from verse 31 to verse 33. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Pretty staggering, isn't it? This dream literally came to fulfillment. King Nebuchadnezzar wasn't just humbled, he was humiliated. He was humiliated. And so we see the dream, we see the fulfillment. But thirdly then, the lesson. What on earth is this passage about? What's it got to do with you and I? What's the lesson? Church, great reading a little story about a king who was arrogant and then got humbled and ultimately humiliated. But what's the lesson? Well, the lesson for Nebuchadnezzar was pretty clear. You're not God, Nebuchadnezzar. There's only one God, and it's the God of the Bible. But for those first readers in Judah, who were exiled in Babylon, for them, the lesson is also that same truth, isn't it? That this God who makes these impossible seeming claims is the one true God and the one who is able to make possible the seemingly impossible according to his divine will. That there is a God in heaven who ultimately rules and reigns over everyone and everything. That as you look at powerful empires and powerful people, they're not merely powerful because they made the right political moves, the right business strategies. They're powerful in a very real sense because God in his sovereignty has made them powerful and has given them the resources, the power and the wealth that they currently enjoy. Because this really is the lesson of Daniel chapter 4. That the most high God is the one who lifts people up and brings people low by his power and according to his purposes. The God of the Bible is the one who lifts people up and brings them low according to his divine power and according to his divine purposes. That's what God did in the life of Nebuchadnezzar and that's what God continually does today. He lifts people up and he brings them low. Our fate does not lie in a political leader. Our fate does not lie on who the next prime minister or president will be. God is the one who holds the whole world in his hands. The Most High God lifts people up and brings them low by his divine power according to his divine purposes. That's really the message of the chapter. You see that line really repeated a number of times in the chapter. For example, look at the end of verse 17 where uh, we're told, That the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he wills and sets it over the lowliest of men. Again, you see it at the end of verse 25, don't you? And you shall be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time will pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he wills. Yet again at the end of verse 32. 
and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills. God is the one ultimately on the throne. He's in charge over everything, even his enemies who set themselves in opposition to him and his kingdom. And hopefully that gives you great comfort today. As you think about the things which God says, which seem impossible, what he says about his return, what he says about your suffering being worth it, what he says about the church thriving, even in the midst of difficult and a pressurized environment. Where in your life right now do you struggle to believe that God will come through in his promises? Where do you struggle to believe that God really is going to be the one who's faithful to his word? As you look into a world where thousands of people have died by a virus, where you see rats in the street, where you see the church being squeezed, do you struggle to believe these truths? Let Daniel 4 be an encouragement to you. Even the most powerful man in the world cannot hinder and thwart the plans and purposes of God because the Most High God is the one who lifts people up and brings them low by his divine power and according to his divine purposes.